You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be in our, in our message tonight. Continuing some thoughts that were, were begun last week. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. And as you find it, if you wouldn't mind, please stand out of respect of God's word as we read it. Nehemiah chapter 2. Good to see Brother Jeremiah back there in the back. Thanks for being here tonight. It's a blessing. And uh, good to have him, pastors down in Canton, and here for the evening service tonight. Grateful to see him tonight. And we've got some guests as well here tonight. I'm thankful for, for, the, for the guests that are visiting and uh, looking forward to getting to know you. If I haven't met you or talked to you very much, uh, my wife and I sure would like to get to know you. Thankful that you're here tonight. Nehemiah chapter 2. Sometimes, you know, earlier when I said you are dismissed, that's a typical Baptist preacher. You give your offering, then you can leave. That's all we really care about. So sometimes my, my, I, for, I just lose my words. And just going from one thing to the next. I appreciate your patience getting through all that. Nehemiah 2. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Talking about Jerusalem, of course. Verse four, then the king said unto me, for what does, what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said unto the king, if it please the king and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I said him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah." And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber or to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Tonight we'll be looking at doing God's work the right way, doing God's work right, the part two Last week, we began looking at these verses as Nehemiah starts the process of, of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And there are four characteristics, before we pray, four characteristics of Nehemiah that qualify him for the work that, at the beginning of this book, of the, at the beginning of Nehemiah. There are four qualifications of character that I see in him um, is that first, he was the right man, meaning he had the qualification of the right heart. 
God's not just looking for the most skilled person to do his work. He's looking for somebody that has a heart for his work, that has a heart for God's people, that has a a heart for God's house. Nehemiah was the right man because he had a heart for God's work. Second, Nehemiah depends on the right source, meaning that he's dependent on God in that when he heard about the condition of Jerusalem, he did not immediately start Googling how to build walls. No, he got on his knees and he prayed because he knew that dependence on God was the only way to fix his spiritual problem. Third, Nehemiah waits for the right time. God's timing is always best in God's work. And he waits four months before he even brings it up to the king. And then even when the king says, well, what do you need? He waits another, we called it four seconds, to pray and ask God to help him say the right things. So he's the right man, depending on the right source, and he's waiting on God's right timing. And the fourth major point is what we start to look at here in that Nehemiah is not willing, I'm sorry, yeah, Nehemiah is not willing to to get things done the wrong way. Or if you say it positively, Nehemiah only wants to do things God's way. He's not interested in his own plans and his own skills and his own schemes. He wants to do this God's way, which is the best way, the right way every time. And if you want to build something that lasts, it must be done the right way. Tonight, I want to revisit some of the traits from Nehemiah's character that we looked at last week. We'll just review those quickly and then look at a principle that I think he operates by that we as a church, it's good for us to be reminded as a church, that we ought to operate this way. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the service, the preaching tonight. Father, we come to you, and I'm I'm thankful for your word. I pray that you would help me to convey it clearly tonight. And I pray that the, the principles would come across the right way. I pray that you would help us each to have open minds and open hearts and a willingness to submit ourselves to the truth of God's word. We're grateful that we have a church home to come to and a church family to be around. I'm thankful for the encouragement that I have in your people here tonight. And I'm grateful for myself, selfishly, Lord, just the encouragement that is in my own heart to get to be around your people. I pray that you'd help us to be a lighthouse in our community. Help us to stand uh, in, in the gap in our workplaces that we would not let our neighbors go without hearing uh, about Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that do things the right way in our daily lives so that God's work, your work, can be done. Lord, we're asking for your wisdom as we look into this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The evidence that Nehemiah wants to do things the right way starts with how he approaches King Artaxerxes in verse 5. You know, I mean, obviously there's evidence before that. He's praying, he's waiting, he's praying again. But in terms of his interactions with the king, I think it starts to become very clear that Nehemiah is not interested in doing God's work his own way. He's not a rogue Christian. He's not a lone ranger where he's just kind of out there doing the things the way that he wants to do them and he's, he doesn't really care what anybody else thinks or says. And we have some, that, we have some like that. You probably know some like that. They're, they're really not all that concerned about teamwork. They're not all that concerned about um, doing things a certain way. They just want to get it done. Well, Nehemiah is obviously the kind of person that wants to do things the right way. In that verse 5 when it says, And I said unto the king, If it please the king. 
And that's a big part. If I, he says, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight. He doesn't start by going in and saying, all right, king, here's my plan. And you better listen, because the walls are, are torn down around my, my father's city, and I'm going to go do something about this. No, he says, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight. See, Nehemiah, this is the first thing that I see here is that he refuses to proceed without authority. He's not interested in moving forward without having the king's blessing, without having his, his authority's blessing in the matter. So Nehemiah humbly follows his chain of command. His, his king is his authority. And, and, and as we looked at last week, he isn't interested in moving forward until he knows he's under He's not interested in moving forward until he knows that he's under his authority. Nehemiah follows the chain of command, and, and we ought not go forward until we know that we're under, that we submit to authority, that we do things the right way and follow our chain of command. God's work does not f- function properly if we're Lone Ranger Christians that just kind of always do things that are right in, each, in our own eyes. And, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and this is my plan, and if God's work doesn't work that way. God blesses us when we submit to authority. And we may not agree and we may not understand. And, and I mean, I'm just thinking about even the children's ministry policies that we're implementing. And, and some of the th- those things that we're trying to put into place if you work with the children's ministries. And you may not even understand all the policies. You may not even agree with all the policies. But if you work in children's ministry... God will bless when you submit to authority. It will. He will. I mean, you may not understand why, you know, as a teacher that I need to be here on, on Wednesday nights. You know, they may not make sense to you. But I'm just telling you, it, it's a good thing when, when the people that are leading spiritually are faithful to the spiritual things. You know, it, it, it may not make sense to you that, that as a teacher or a worker back in the back that you wear certain clothing, that we're asking ladies to, to wear dresses and we're asking the men to dress up and wear slacks or wear something a little bit nicer. That's what we're looking for back there. And as I said in the meeting, it's not a matter of spirituality. We're not measuring or judging on, based on what somebody wears as much as, you know, if you go work and you flip hamburgers, you have a uniform. I mean, it doesn't matter where you work or, or who you work for. I mean, uh, if you, anywhere that you go and you serve and you represent uh, that company, then, then we're just asking that you represent us. Everybody wear, wears the same kind of things. We just, it's a uniform. You know, nobody balks at that if, we, if you get a job working somewhere else. But at church, it's like you infringe on everyone's rights for requesting something like that. It's not a matter or a sign of spirituality. That's not our our goal or our purpose. We just want to make sure that we represent God well and we represent Him the same way, consistently. You may not always understand. You may not always agree. And it may not make sense to you, but I'm just telling you, if we're willing to submit to the authority that God has placed over this place here as we serve, He will bless us. We see that in Nehemiah's example right here. He, he says in verse 5, "...the city lies in waste." And basically, please send me to rebuild the walls. And I love the way he says, please send me. He doesn't say, let me go. Because send me implies that he doesn't move forward until he's under. Let me go makes it seem like he's kind of the one calling the shots. But he's not saying, hey, let me go. Let me go do this. No, he's saying, send me. 
I want your authority. I want your backing on this. I love how Nehemiah is not interested in moving forward without his authority's help, without his authority's blessing. The second thing I, th- I see and that we've even looked at about Nehemiah doing things the right way is that his past reputation opens more doors. His past reputation opens doors. The king asks him, how long is your journey, journey going to be and when will you return? Now, I, I think it's interesting that he asked that because the king is, inter- is not interested in losing Nehemiah permanently. The king's not, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Please go, here's the money. You just go do whatever you need to do. And I, I, he asked, okay, now, I mean, where are you going? How long are you gonna be gone? And when are you gonna return? And the way that I read into this here is that the king is pleased with what Nehemiah has been doing. He does not wanna lose a good employee. For those of you that have employees or you're an employer and you hire and you, and, and you replace, I mean, you hate to lose somebody that's a good employee, don't you? You don't want to lose somebody that's doing a good job. I think that's what's happening here with the king. He's not just interested in seeing Nehemiah go. He says, well, when are you going to come back? And we ought to serve in such a way that if we leave, that we'll be missed. We ought to serve so faithfully that people are not ready to, to wave goodbye to us. We ought to serve so consistently that if you leave, there's a hole. You ought to have so much that you are with initiative taken care of that if you were to walk away from it, everyone's like, oh, wow, I didn't know they did that too. Kind of scrambling. No, I'm not, don't leave us in a, in a pickle here. I mean, I don't, I've never used that phrase before. Leave us in a pickle, but it works. Okay, don't leave us scrambling. Don't say, hey, I want Eastside Baptist Church to know just how much I do every week, so I'm not gonna show up on Sunday and I'm just gonna sit back and laugh at all the scrambling. No, don't do that. But serve in such a way that if that was to happen, uh, there's a hole. Serve in such a way that you would be missed. Uh, Be faithful. Uh, Another thing I see here is be faithful no matter how you feel. Because don't you know that as soon as Nehemiah heard that the walls were torn down over in Jerusalem, that his heart is now in Jerusalem. He's thinking, I want to get back there. I want to get there and I want to rebuild the walls and protect the city and I love God and I love his work and I love his people. I want to do something right now to take, take care of the walls around Jerusalem. His heart had been in Jerusalem, but it doesn't mean he'd neglected his duty. And we ought to be faithful no matter how we feel. It's a sign of a mature Christian, a mature disciple that we're faithful no matter our emotions. And even if we're not feeling up to it, even if we're kind of like not really in the mood or a Sunday we wake up and we're like, ah, I don't really feel like doing it. Well, it doesn't matter how we feel. We're in our place on time every time. We all have seasons of ups and downs. We all have times that we don't really feel like doing something. And you're not hypocritical if you sometimes serve and don't feel like it. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you human. So hopefully that's an encouragement tonight. You're not a hypocrite if you've ever served or done something that you didn't really feel like doing, but you knew it was the right thing, so you just did it. Now, if you stay in that condition very long, then you've got a heart matter that you need to deal with. But it doesn't make you a hypocrite, it simply makes you human. What else I see from Nehemiah here is that we ought to view our responsibility as being so important that it requires thought and planning. We ought to view our ministry, view our service as so important that it requires thought and planning. It says in verse 6, in verse six it says, uh, after the king asked, when will you return? It says, so it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. 
I said, here's the time that I will return. And you know these people. They say, oh yeah, I'll be there at so-and-so. And immediately you look at your wife, you're like, yeah, that means like 30 minutes later. They said six, but we both know that means 6.30. Okay, you know people like that. Maybe you're one of those. And I'm sorry, uh, I don't mean to call you out tonight. There are some people whose concept of time has not yet been developed. I mean, my wife and I, I love my wife, but we are opposites when it comes to our concept of time. I am always aware of what time it is, and she is rarely aware of what time it is. It's just one of those things, and it's just part of it. That's why God brought us together, to balance each other out. You know, but maybe you're one of those people, well, Nehemiah was the kind of guy that when he said, this is the time, that I will have it done, that the king had no doubt The king wasn't thinking, well, you know, Nehemiah is that guy. No, Nehemiah would not have been in the position he was in if he was the guy that just couldn't do things on time. He's not just jumping in. He he already had thought about it. He said, I set him a time. He wasn't jumping in without thought, without planning. He was ready with a time frame. He'd spent four months giving thought to this. If we believe that the work we're doing is important, folks, we'll give it plenty of thought and we'll give it plenty of planting. Planning, I'm sorry. God's kingdom is affected by the ministries of this church. You know God's kingdom is affected by your ministry? What you're doing, it's important. That's why, I, that's why as the guy that preaches the messages and picks the songs, I picked little as much when God is in it. Does the place you're called to labor, does it seem so small and little known? Does it seem like nobody notices? Does it seem to you like it doesn't make any difference to anybody? Well, it is great if God is in it and he'll not forget his own. And every week, you know, when you prepare a lesson for those little three or four-year-olds or, or you come up here and, and, and you mow the yard or you, you clean a bathroom or you, or you, clean your, your, you decorate your Sunday school class or if you're involved in special music, you're practicing a song and, and we're, we're doing the little things that sometimes we think nobody else is going to notice, but there's somebody who's always watching. And that is our God. And the place when it seems so small and it seems so little known, it's great if God is in it. And I'm thankful that God notices and he sees it. And even though we may not feel like it's very big, it is important to the kingdom of God. Your teaching those children is important to the kingdom of God. That track that you leave with the, with the cashier, it's important to the kingdom of God. And you, nobody may ever notice, but when the work that we're doing, we're affecting people's eternity through the gospel. We're preaching and, and reaching and teaching and discipling and cleaning and trying to do things with excellence and serving. And if it's for God, it deserves our best. It deserves excellence. There should be no weekly activity that we do that deserves more passion or time or energy than that which we give to the Lord. Let's anticipate what God might do in a service or in some child's life by being prepared for it. His work deserves thought. It deserves planning. It deserves our best. Good leaders do their homework. Good leaders work outside. And you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm already busy and but, but I, the best teachers I've ever known in a, in a church setting are the ones who are always thinking about their lesson. 
They're always working toward it. They're always giving thought to it. And you might say, well, I operate by faith. I'm just trusting God. I'll just show up and do it and I'll let God work. And, you know, we, but the Lord's work, which we could call discipleship, it requires counting the cost before we jump into it. That's biblical. You go over to Luke 14 and Jesus Christ made it clear that you wouldn't build a tower without sitting down. You wouldn't go fight a battle with somebody unless uh, you knew that you had enough resources to fight. Planning and preparation, that's part of our service. Like Nehemiah's desire to build walls, we have an important task as well. And it may not be building walls, but it could be building some child's life. It could be helping in some junior church room. I mean, as a church, we're putting ourselves in a position to build people by making disciples. Let's be sure we approach it with thought and planning, that it's important. I also see in Nehemiah that that he was faithful enough in the small things that he could be trusted with bigger opportunities. And we ought to as well. Be faithful enough in the small things that you can be trusted with more. How I treat today's opportunities will impact how many I get tomorrow. It's true for us personally. I believe it's true for our church. When you've proven yourself and you've planned accordingly and you've been faithful, you'll be more likely to be trusted with more opportunities. I mean, at work, diligence in those little tasks, it leads to bigger responsibilities, bigger projects. So the, be diligent in the small things. Be there on time. We were just talking about this today with, some, with Brother Chad and Miss Lisa, and he was talking about how difficult it is to find good help. And he has an employee that, that he has to call sometimes two or three times a week to wake him up because he's already missed the beginning of his shift. And I'm like, you are a much more patient boss than I've ever had. And he said, well, I I mean, but I can't find somebody else. I need him there. It's hard to find somebody. And Erin was saying she used to seasonally work at at a department store there in Stillwater. And and she would kind of turn into the mom of the group, you know, because it's all a bunch of college kids or high school girls. And and, and she would talk to them about their work ethic. And she would say, you want to be a good employee? Just show up. Be on time when you're scheduled. Wow, that's a revelation. Never thought of that, to be on time when I'm scheduled. Let me write that down and let me put that in Evernote on my phone so I can remember that for next time. I mean, it just seems like a basic, doesn't it? But it seems like most people don't operate that way anymore. If you want bigger opportunities, take care of the small ones. Be on time. Don't, don't be gone for lunch longer than you're supposed to. Make good use of your time. At church, when we focus on the basics, God blesses us. Be faithful to services. You know, if you serve in, a, in some position and you're, you're thinking, well, I, may, I think I want to maybe pursue this or maybe you're looking for an opportunity to serve, it could be that, that God's just waiting to bless you with that opportunity uh, until you are faithful to the basics. Until it, until it comes to the point where no one's going to question if you're here on a Wednesday. No one's wondering well, those are the basics that no one's wondering if you'll be here on time uh, for Sunday school in the couples class. You know, it's, you're just, it's expected that you're going to be there. You're going to be there early. We prove ourselves in the small things, and then the bigger things come along. Nehemiah's reputation was such that his preparation and track record instilled confidence in his authorities. It say, the Bible says it pleased the king to send me. So what's your reputation when it comes to preparation and taking care of those small things. 
How dependable is your word? If you say that you'll be in place, in class, on time, will someone doubt that? Are you there when you're on the nursery schedule? Miss Tina's like, amen, back there. Do you start preparing plenty early when you're supposed to teach a lesson? Do you start preparing plenty early? Uh, those involved in special music, do you start preparing plenty early? Are you already thinking about the songs that you're going to sing next? Choir members, how consistently do you come to each practice on time? You know, I, I've always valued the moms with multiple children who are there on, to practice on time Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. And yet, you know, we've got the singles that no, got nobody to get ready but themselves. Rolling in about five minutes after practice every time. And I'm like, she's got six kids at home. And she's here on time. Hey, if, that's, if that can happen, if they can be here on time, you should be here on time. Man, I know that's, man, this is tough. I'm, I hope you got your steel toes on tonight, so. <laughs> well, you know, we're not going to all claim to be authors, but your actions, big and small, are writing out your reputation like an autobiography. Your actions, your habits, you're the one setting how dependable and consistent of a reputation you have. And before we move on, if you were the one making this request of the king in Nehemiah 2, how likely would the king be to answer your request based on how faithfully and consistently you're in your place? Based on how much thought and planning and preparation you put into your areas of service? Would he answer your request based on how you treat the small things? Look at verse 7. Again, he says, Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king. Here's more confirmation that authority is important to Nehemiah. He says, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. See, Nehemiah now is asking for letters. And, and we're moving now on to the next part of this here. He's asking for letters to give to the governors that he would, would be confronted by or that he would come across on his journey. The, these letters would be from the king, from, directly from Artaxerxes, and they would transfer, how it worked was they would transfer a portion of the king's authority to Nehemiah. So if Nehemiah has a letter from the king, it's almost as if the king is traveling. The, the authority from the king has been transferred to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was going to be passing through the land of the enemies of Judah. And they did not want Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem and reestablish the walls. If they wanted to, they could either send him home or they could prevent him from building a wall. And if they really didn't want him there, they could attack him. And so in that day, the roads that you would travel on had stations set up, set up like a port of entry. So you would travel through and very similar to what we would at a border uh, to enter into our country to legal enter, legally enter that country you had to stop and you would show papers like like a visa or a passport in this case it's authority from the king and from what I understand it is it's about a three-month trip from Shushan the palace where Nehemiah was to Jerusalem it's about 1500 miles there were countless borders to cross where letters of passage would be required and you would think that the king's authority would be enough, 
But we know that down in verse 9, it says, Then I came to the governors beyond the rivers and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. You would think it's enough that he has letters from the king saying, Here's my authority. Well, the king was so confident in Nehemiah as a man that he actually makes his own resources available to him and sends an army with him just in case somebody doesn't accept the letter. When you talk about your authority having confidence in, in the servant. I mean, King Artaxerxes knows that Nehemiah is going to get this done, so much so that he's willing to send an army with him. You know, when you do things the right way, you're going to have more resources at your disposal. I'm just telling you that's how it works. It's a great lesson, although we're not going to spend much time on it. Look at verse 8. It says, In a later letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber. And his idea here is that he knows he's going to have to have some building materials. You know, if he's going to go build walls or build a, a house, he, lumber is going to be needed. And lumber is a precious commodity. I mean, you couldn't... I mean, if I, I was looking at, at modern-day Iran, you know, Persia... I, I, I did a, this is just the weird stuff that you do when you're in your office. I did a, uh, um, a Google Maps view of Persia, satellite view, and I kind of really honed in on what's called Susa or Shushan, and there's not hardly a tree in sight. So lumber is a precious commodity, and Nehemiah knows that he better make an arrangement to have materials with which to build if he's going to go build walls. So he's thought through everything, I love that about Nehemiah. He's not surprised. It's not like the king's like, well, what are you going to build with? He's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think about that. No, he's thought through everything. He, was, he had planned. He was prepared. He had thought about it. He views his task in God's kingdom and God's work as being so important that he was going to do everything he could to make sure it happened. He's not just kind of flying by the seat of his pants and I, you know what, I feel like doing this today. I'm going to do it. No, everything has come together and everything that had to come together has come together. And now he's trusting God for his help. But Nehemiah did everything he could. What I'm saying is that it's a helpful lesson in the balance because we need to trust God and we need to have faith, but we also should do what we can. In other words, as we trust God and as we depend on him, and as we require faith in the work, we also need to be out there preparing for the work. The Revolutionary War soldiers used to say, trust in God, but keep your powder dry. In other words, yeah, trust in God and ask God for his help, but I'm not very wise if I don't do the part that I can, and that is keep my powder dry in case we get into a battle. Pray to God, but make your plans, set your sights, think through the challenges, do your part. God will do his. You know, this whole text has an important lesson that I think could be extremely helpful as a ministry philosophy. And here's where we start getting into what I really want to focus on this evening. And I want to start by asking a few questions. Was Nehemiah's work important? Yes, I mean, no, no trick questions. Was he passionate about God's work? Was God concerned with Nehemiah's work? Absolutely. Did the purposes of God depend on Nehemiah doing his part? Yes, I mean, I know that's, that sounds a little bit strange, but God's, God wants to advance his kingdom. God wants to, somebody to build the walls. And at this point, God's purposes are dependent on Nehemiah. Now, God could raise up somebody else, but at this point in time, in God's sovereignty, he chose Nehemiah to be the man for the hour. 
So knowing that, were the purposes of God dependent on Nehemiah doing his job at this point? Yes. Could God have done the work apart from the king? Sure, he could have. God can do anything. And even though all those things are true, Nehemiah still did it the right way. Meaning, Nehemiah was just as concerned about the approach as he was the landing. Nehemiah was just as concerned about how he did it than how it ended up. His purpose or his goal was to rebuild walls. That's the whole point. That's the end result. And so we might be tempted to say, well, walls are the end goal. So as long as I end up with walls, what, what, what else matters? As long as I end up with walls, that's all that really matters. Okay, so if that's all that matters, could Nehemiah then have attempted this in other ways? Well, he could have. I mean, he could have, and I'm just thinking about all the ways he could have tried to get this done without doing it the right way. I mean, he could have staged a coup. He could have gotten the influencers on his side over the course of time, and he could have tried to overthrow Artaxerxes and done whatever he wanted. He could have poisoned the king because he had access to his food and drink and then fled the country and gone to do it himself. He could have forged the letters and stolen money and tried it that way. He could have trained an army with the remaining Jews in Persia. He could have stormed the palace. He could have killed the king. He could have raided the vault and taken all the money. He could have paid off the Persian army. I'm really dreaming big here now. He could have destroyed every country between Shushan and Jerusalem and gone to build the walls in his own way. And honestly, that's way more exciting. Makes for a better TV movie. But here's the point. The goal is important, but how you get there matters. It it wasn't just about doing the work of God. It was about doing God's work the right way. See, the work of God still continues today. And we have a part in it. And it's accomplished through local churches like this one. And many in today's modern church environment are telling us, do whatever you need to do to get as many people as possible. It doesn't matter how. The methods aren't important. As long as the end goal is accomplished, that's all that matters. And there's a, people are saying that. And, you know, we believe in the importance of reaching people, don't we? We believe we ought to reach people, don't we? Yeah, well, we want to. If we didn't, there would be something wrong with us. But we have to be careful not to buy into the modern philosophy that says nothing matters except the end result. See, the word pragmatic applies to many modern churches. And to be pragmatic means you do whatever is necessary to achieve the desired end result. So for a church, here's the scenario. Well, we want to fill this building up. I mean, I'd love to see this building full every week. I'd love to see as many in here as possible as we can fit in here. We want that. Read Luke 14. Go back and see that man who represents God. In that story, he sends out a servant to invite many, and the reason was to come and fill the house. It's not wrong for us to have a desire to fill God's house. I mean, if our motive is wrong, then that's wrong. But if our motive is to reach people for Jesus Christ and to see their lives change, it's not wrong for us to say, let's fill this house. Let's fill this place up. Luke 14, that's what he was trying to do. Bring them in, go out to the highways and hedges and compel them so that I can see the house full. God wants many to be saved. He wants everybody to be saved. And we should too. 
Pragmatism is, then, we'll fill it up at any cost. What do people want? Change the music, dim the lights, add smoke and flames. The teenagers now suddenly are interested. Get rid of the hymnals. Get rid of the choir. That's not real trendy these days. Make it more comfortable. Make it easier uh, on the time. Cut back on the number of times you have to meet. Lower the requirements instead of raise them for those that serve. Make it more appealing to the average consumer. Hey, if the point is to fill the house, then nothing else matters. If the point is to make sure the walls are built, just do whatever it takes. And that's the temptation. Because we're doing work as important to the kingdom of God as Nehemiah was. We want to accomplish that work. But the lesson that I want us to learn from Nehemiah tonight is this. God's work must be done God's way. See, for Nehemiah, that meant prayer and planning and obedience to authority in order to accomplish the things that God wanted him to do, the desired result, building walls. For a church, it means prayer, planning, and obedience to the authority in order to accomplish the desired result of pleasing our king. And you say, well, you didn't say anything about filling up the building, right? Because we must get to the place, listen, We must get to the place that we're more concerned with doing things the right way than we are even about the results. We must get to the place where we operate not based on results, but on doing things God's way. And let him take care of the rest. See, that mentality kind of helps us in two ways. Number one, it helps remind us that it is God that builds this church. Folks, it's God that builds this church. I mean, Jesus Christ said to Peter, yeah, I I will build my church. I mean, upon this rock. I'll build my church. See, a lot of people, a lot of, in in our culture, a lot of churches out there today are thinking that I want to build the church through programs and my ideas are going to build the church and they treat it really, treat it like a business. You're trying to attract customers. But that's not what Jesus Christ said. He said, I'll build the church. This mentality helps us to remember that. Second, it helps us to operate by principle. Rather than make decisions simply based on results we're hoping for. See, this is what we do. No matter the result. A biblical New Testament ministry functions according to principles, not pragmatism. In other words, we're out here, we're going to do what we do based on what the Bible says we ought to do, even if it's not popular. Even if the results aren't what we want. If we do things God's way, he's responsible to accomplish the end result. That means the pressure is off of me. The pressure is off of you. All I have to do is his work, his way. He takes care of all of the rest. You say, Pastor, aren't you concerned about filling this place up? Well, sure. I'd love to see that happen. But I'm not nearly as concerned as I am that we as a church simply obey the command of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. See, we we get all concerned about filling it up. We get all concerned about our new programs and new ideas and all the new things that we could do. And yet, if we're not out there on a weekly basis fulfilling the Great Commission, 
which is the way that God says, Jesus says to make disciples, I'm much more concerned about our obedience to the Great Commission than I am just filling this place up. Our priority is obedience to the commands that God has given us, not the results. See, we can't control the results. But we can choose whether or not we obey. That's God's work done God's way. Pastor, aren't you concerned about being relevant in this culture? Well, I am concerned about being relevant. I, I don't want people to come in and, we're, and I'm just, we're completely out of touch with what's happening. But I'm not nearly as concerned about being relevant as I am about preaching the word of God. See, in our culture, in our church culture, there are pastors that are so concerned about being relevant that that rises to the top and they filter everything that they say and do through relevance and not through faithfulness to preach God's word. And if, you're, if you ever get to the point where you ask me to be more relevant, I know I could be more cool. I mean, obviously. But listen, my priority is to preach and teach this book. That's what I'm here to do. And if we don't do anything else but we do that, we're doing all that we should do. Pastor, aren't you concerned about paying the bills? Well, of course. I, don't, I want to pay the bills and I want to pay them on time and we need to pay them on time, but I'm not nearly as concerned about increasing our offerings as I am about making disciples. See, a lot of people are concerned about bringing people in so they can afford to pay more and have more programs and do more. But listen, if we go out and we tell people about Jesus Christ and we win them and then we baptize them and then we train them to be disciples, um, we'll have plenty of resources because if people are disciples, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A real disciple, you don't have to twist a real disciple's arm to get them to give to God's work. So we need to be more concerned about making disciples than we are, well, our, you know, we need more here so that we can have a bigger budget and we can pay for more stuff. No. Disciples. Pastor, aren't you concerned about services that people enjoy? Absolutely I am. But I'm not nearly as concerned about pe services that people just enjoy or like as I am that God is pleased with our services. We have to decide, folks, and I think we have, we've decided, and I'm thankful for it, but there will be a time when the pressure mounts and we will have to decide if our services are for us or for God. We'll have to decide if, are we going to change what we're doing so that, that people really enjoy it and really get on board and really like to come, or are we going to draw a line somewhere because our priority is pleasing God, not pleasing people. The pragmatic person says, make the music more like the music people listen to the rest of the week. The principled person says, make the music distinct from the world because its primary audience is God. The pragmatic uh, church says, well, people like coffee shops, so let's make it feel like a coffee shop. Hey, I, I love coffee. But the principled church says, a place we meet with God should reflect him more than it does us. There's a lot of things we could do to change things around here. But if we operate by principle, it keeps us in a certain place where pragmatism might lead us in every direction we can think of. See, pragmatism takes the control out of God's hand and places it into ours. 
We want the result that we want, so we take the controller and we're making the game do what we want. But principles leave the control in God's hand. And we say, if it pleased the king, if it pleased the king, we will do things God's way. And we'll leave the results up to him, the king. God, you build your church. We will operate based on the principles that you tell us to. We'll just obey. And you know, this doesn't just apply to a church. I was thinking about all the ways that this applies. Either, you, either you're principled. So here it is again in a nutshell. Either you operate based on principle or you operate based on pragmatism. And if you operate based on pragmatism, then you adjust what you do to get the right results. If you operate based on principles, then you say, God, what do you say? How do you say I should operate? And that's where I'll be. It doesn't matter to me the results. Of course, I want good results. But the most important priority for me is to operate based on principle over here. And you know, this is true in parenting too. See, if I was to operate as a dad based on pragmatism, then I would, uh, I would kind of work everything out or mold everything in my child's life to make it as easy as possible and as good and smooth as possible for them to end up like I want them to. I'll change things around so that I can get the desired result. I'll back off maybe even on some of the expectations so that we have a good, easy relationship and I can get them to be where I want them to be or I operate based on principle, which says train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So I have a choice to make. Either I will operate with my children based on just getting the right result. Say, I just need them to obey. So if I just need them to obey, it doesn't matter to me really if their heart's in it or if they have a good attitude. As long as they are simply doing what I ask them to, then I'm happy with that. Or I train them in the way that God says I should, and I leave the results up to him. Because he says, if we train them up in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. That leaves the results in God's hands. You know what that is? It's parenting by faith. Not parenting based on results, but parenting by faith. This is true at work. It's true at, at your job. I was reading Colossians 3 this week. It says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Everything that we do, our motivation is to serve God, even at work, in, right here in our ministries here. And we say, well, you know, if I want to get ahead at work, then I may have to kind of finagle some of the things I do in order to keep up with what everybody else is doing. You may feel some pressure to kind of compromise a little bit on your ethics or to compromise a little bit, maybe be a little bit deceptive or, or maybe kind of nudge somebody out of the way so you can get on the ladder. You know what I'm talking about, how the, the way that the world operates. And you might say, well, if my end result is that I want to get the best position that I can and, and, and kind of rise to the ranks that I can, then I will maybe as a pragmatist start adjusting the way I do things so that I can get that result. But if you remember a, a verse like Colossians 3 that says, whatsoever you do, you're doing it for God. So in all of your decisions at work, don't ever compromise righteousness. He will, in turn, bring the rewards and the results in your life as, from his blessing, and that's much more important than a bigger portfolio. 
That's much more important than rising up the ranks. You operate based on his righteousness and don't just fall to the lowest common denominator or what everybody else around you is doing. You know, this is true in witnessing. This is true in when we tell somebody the gospel. We can either operate based on pragmatism and the results or we can operate based on principles. And the principle is that I just go and I preach Jesus. I tell them about Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go out and try to, if the end result is that we win them, I'm not going to go out and try to maybe manipulate what they say, kind of trick them into it or make it easier than it needs to be. If that's the result, and I've done it myself, you're out the door, you want somebody to, to to receive Christ. You want somebody to say yes to the invitation of the Lord. And so you kind of change the way that you approach it. But in the end, that's pragmatism. I'm simply looking for a result instead of operating based on principles. What I ought to do is go in Christ's power and tell them about Jesus Christ and the cross, even tell them that they're sinners and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Let him bring about the results. I can either witness as a pragmatist or witness as a, a principled person. You know, it works in giving too. Luke 6 says, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure pressed down, and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And you know, that makes sense. I believe that as a, as a principle. But when the money is tight and Sunday comes, and I have to write a check where I've got to give online or whatever, whatever form I give. When money's tight and it's not easy, that principle that makes sense to me the rest of the week on Sunday is suddenly hard. And I've got to pay a bill. The pragmatist in me would say, well, you know, I, if I just skip this one, then I'll be able to please the Lord and pay my bill on time. No, the principle says, though, that we give out of obedience And as Matthew 6 says, he takes care of the rest. And we may not see how it works out. My wife and I were just telling our children this this week. We say we look at our budget so often, most of our marriage. We look at our budget, we're like, I don't know how this all works out. I don't know where it's going to come from. But we always give first. That's what we do. We give to God first. Seek you first the kingdom of God. We give to him first no matter what. We give our tithe and we give missions and we give to a building fund and we do it every week no matter what. And if we do that by faith, then he says he'll take care of it. I don't know how he's going to. I don't see how it's going to, how it's going to work out. But we, we have to follow his promises. If we give, he'll take care of us. The pragmatist in us might adjust and say, well, I'm not going to give this week because I can't afford it. The principled person will say, no, every week I give. Because that's what he asks. It works in prayer. He said, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. The pragmatist in me says, I'm not going to pray unless I'm guaranteed the answer I want. The principled person says, no, I'm going to pray because the Bible says pray without ceasing. The Bible says in everything, pray. I'm going to pray in everything. I'm not going to pray just based on the results. And we're going to talk about this even in our prayer series coming up. But a pragmatist will say, why pray if it doesn't get the results I want? I could spend my time doing more important things. The principled person knows that prayer is the lifeline between you, us and God. We, we must, in our relationship with our Father, have communion through prayer. It's not just about the results. 
See, listen, the Christian life is not to just operate based on results. We operate based on faith. We submit to obedience to God's principles. We live over here in the principled section and we just do what we know we're supposed to do even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't see the end. We operate based on principles and we leave the results up to him. It works as a church. It works in our lives. We can either live over here in the principled section or we come over here as a pragmatist and we say, well, no, I'm going to finagle and work and shift everything around to get the results that I want. And where does that lead? There's no end to that. You have to confine yourself to the principles of God's word rather than being a pragmatist. And I want you to look at, here's a man, Nehemiah, who did things God's way. And some people would have said, well, I wouldn't have done it this way. I don't think that's going to get you the result that you want. But look at the end of verse 8. He says, In a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. It's a mouthful. But then he says, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You know what? In the end, because Nehemiah was only willing to do it God's way, he didn't try to work things out for on, him, on his own. He, he went and trusted God and said, by faith, this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to go through my authority. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to trust you for the results. In the end, the king granted him the request according to the good hand of my God upon me. When you operate based on principles instead of pragmatism, you have God's hand. In the end, he blesses you with the result you, you wanted in the first place. When, when we do things God's way, he blesses us. We may not see it. We may not see how it's going to work out. We may not see that, I mean, at work, that situation you're in, and, you know, someone's talking bad about you and, and you want to defend yourself and you want to let everybody know that you're innocent and they're wrong and you just want to stand up and say it in front of the whole office and yet you read in the Bible where it says, no, let, let God take care of it. Uh, let God be the avenger. Let, let God, I mean, if those that, that persecute you, just let it take place. And you just stand there and you let God deal with it. And in the, at the end, in, the result is that the good hand of your God will be upon you because you operated based on principle. You, by faith, believe that he, what he says is true and you lived and obeyed it. Nehemiah wanted walls badly. God led him to do it the right way and in the end he got the result he wanted. I'm not saying we're always going to get the result we want. But in the end, I'd rather have God's blessing than what the world sees as the best result. In the end, God's blessing is the best result. And we may never fill this place up. And we may not get the results we hope for. But that's not our final goal. Our purpose is to say over and over with every decision, if it please the king. Every decision we make, every direction we go, every, every ministry that we start or, or work on, every person that comes in here and we're praying where do they fit or where should they serve. No, it's not, okay, well, what's the best result? No, if it please the king. Complete submission to do things his way. We're in this to please our father. 
And we follow his principles, even if it doesn't make the most sense in that moment. And as we do that, we are allowing him to determine the results. The good hand of our God will be upon us. Are we, are we operating based on principles or are we pragmatists? It's time to maybe evaluate that in our own lives. As parents, at work, you know, in your own Christian life, especially as a church. Do we operate based on what we know is right or are we just looking for the best results? Uh, Lord, help us. Always stay on this side over here. Because as we do, the good hand of our God will be upon us. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.